Before we get to the episode, I have some news. A few months back, I made a little announcement. I said that I was committing to one more year of running my membership, the exclusive stepmom community, in the same capacity. The key word being, in the same capacity. In one more year, I was going to make some changes. I didn't know exactly what that would look like. I just needed that date on my calendar for an official shift. Well, the shift is in the works. The membership is not going anywhere. I'm not going anywhere. What I'm doing is bringing in more stepmom coaches to help me support you. This community of stepmoms continues to evolve and the feedback we're getting has been next level. If you are a stepmom craving coaching, support, exclusive content, workshops on how to improve relationships, strategies to improve your step family life, and want to start to feel more confident and in control of your life, this is your official invitation to join us. This is a space where you can come when you're struggling and an investment that doesn't make you feel like you need to be in it every day. When step family life feels like it's getting the best of you, you can come to my office hours and I'll help you navigate through. You can also leave me a message in the forum. A fellow member said, it's like I have Jamie on retainer for less than a dollar a day. I know I can get support from the top stepmom coach online whenever I need it. The peace of mind is invaluable. To join the membership, head to www.jamiescrimger.com forward slash membership. You can use the code STEPMOMHELP to get 30% off your membership. www.jamiescrimger.com forward slash membership and use the code STEPMOMHELP to get 30% off. Hey there, it's Jamie Scrimger here, and you're listening to the Kick-Ass Stepmom Podcast. I'm a wife, a mom, a stepmom, a coach, a conversation opener, and a BS caller. Eight years ago, I found myself sitting on the bathroom floor, bawling my eyes out, wondering what the heck I was thinking, marrying a man with three kids and an ex-wife. Look, don't get me wrong. I was madly in love. The kids were great. But being a stepmom is, well, it's just complicated. If you know, you know. As a 26-year-old with zero experience in the parenting department, I went to the internet for support. But I was disappointed with what I found. So I decided to create the type of support I was looking for. Raw, real, solution-focused conversations about all things motherhood, stepmotherhood, and living a kick-ass life. Life can be hard, really freaking hard. But it's entirely possible to thrive amongst the tough stuff. Each week, I will bring you tips and strategies and mindset shifts to inspire you to live your own version of a kick-ass life. We'll bring you along as I create my own. Let's do this. Hello, hello. Welcome to the Kick-Ass Stepmom Podcast. Guys, this episode. Wow, it is a conversation that I didn't realize how much I needed. Afterwards, I felt so seen and understood and not alone. It just, yeah, I did not know how much I needed this. So I talked to Libby Ward of Diary of an Honest Mom. And the purpose of Libby's platform is to change the narrative on what it means to be a good mom and to remind moms that taking care of your kid's mom is just as important as taking care of your kids. And that goes for you too, stepmoms. Libby is very open about her motherhood journey, her mental health and trauma, and her goal is to make moms feel less alone. In this episode, we get right into it. We talk about perfectionism, mom guilt, And then we both dive into how our relationships with our own moms has impacted the way that we show up as moms ourselves. Now, there is a lot of content out there about the mother-daughter relationship and just people talking about how they couldn't do motherhood without the support of their own mom. But I think it's really important to acknowledge that that's not the case for everyone. And it certainly is not the case for Libby and I. We both have had very complicated relationships with our moms and have had to set boundaries to protect ourselves and to support our own personal growth. In this episode, we dive right into sharing our personal journeys with boundaries and personal growth and reflecting on our childhood traumas and how putting ourselves first has made us better moms. I am so grateful for this conversation and I'm really happy to be able to share it with all of you. If it resonates, share it with someone who needs to hear it. And if you really want to give back, do me a solid, leave a review on iTunes. Guys, these reviews mean the world to me and really help us continue to get more guests like Libby. As always, the best conversations happen after the episode. You can connect with me on Instagram at Jamie Scrimger and Libby at at Diary of an Honest Mom. Thank you for being here. Love you guys so much. Let's dive in. Libby, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. 
Oh, I'm just, you know, I'm just grateful that you were able to take the time and, you know, it was, it worked out, right? Like two busy moms with crazy schedules and we made it happen. So definitely pumped to dive into all the things today. Yes, me too. I can't wait. So I think maybe the best place to start is I would love to hear a little bit more about how your platform started because I feel like it just wasn't in your five-year plan. Like it just kind of happened and here we are. Right. It wasn't in my like two-year plan. I said to my husband last night, a year ago, I was graduating from university with a sociology degree that I'd worked hard on over the pandemic with kids at home. And I was planning on starting my master's program in September to become a teacher. That was my plan exactly one year ago. I had been on TikTok and Instagram for about a year at that point, but I didn't know that people made jobs out of it. I didn't know that people quit their jobs to do it as a full-time career. And it just sort of happened. And between this time last year and September, like a four-month span, I blew up over Instagram, over TikTok, over everything, started getting a lot of opportunities coming my way and realized, oh, this, this could be a thing. So here we are. I started in March, 2020 on TikTok, you know, made funny, relatable mom content. I made an Instagram account six months later because I thought TikTok was going to get shut down. That was the rumor. I hated Instagram. I thought it was like this, like curated, like perfect aesthetic, like no one talks about real hard things. Like it's all just surfacey. So I didn't like it. I just like was like, well, I don't want to lose my people. So I'll join Instagram. And then in January of 2021, I was like, no, we'll just put up my old TikToks because there's reels now. And it just blew up like 10K a month every month and then went from 50K to 100K over the summer. And then I was like, well, I guess I'm not going to be a teacher now. And so I started doing this full time in September. <laughs> It's crazy. And for those who are listening and they're like, okay, what do you mean do it full time? Because I get this question like very often. People are like, what, this is your job? Like you do this online stuff for work? Like what, what does that look like? So for you, how have you monetized? So for me, the way I'm monetizing right now is through brand partnerships. So most of my income comes from me talking about brands that I organically use and promote. Uh, so I get paid to promote brands that I already use and love or that I think are going to be helpful to my community. I love it. It's so good. And I remember, I remember the first time I had a brand partnership. Do you remember the first time you got paid for something? <laughs> yes. Yes, I do. What was it? It was for this app, this like photo app where you like scan your pictures and then you have them on your phone and you can make albums. It was like this whole technical thing. And I was paid absolute like peanuts upon peanuts and they wanted four videos within one week. And it was the biggest stress of my life, like making TikTok ads, like for them in one week, it was horrendous, but I was so excited because I was like, people want to pay me money. People are paying me money to make videos. What is this thing that happens? Is this a thing that happens? And I thought that it was like just the greatest thing, but also like stressful. And now when I look back, I'm like, wow, they got a great deal out of that. But I was just so excited. I was just so excited to be like, oh, people want to pay me to do the thing I do for fun. <laughs> yeah, no, so good. I remember the first, I remember being, we were going out for dinner and with my husband and our daughter and I get this weird answer machine message from this like PR company and they want me to come and do a pant, like a, a diapers. I don't even remember. I don't even remember the brain, but it was like a diaper video with them. They wanted us to come to Toronto and they wanted us to stay in a hotel and like me to bring my daughter who's like potty training age. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, you know, I couldn't believe they were going to pay me for it. And I look back and I'm like, first of all, they did not pay me near enough for the stress of that. I had to like truck my daughter to Toronto and, you know, I'm outside of the city in a hotel and have her filming for on set for the day for like, you know, hundreds of dollars. But it was like, that was not, that was just not worth it. But I remember thinking, yeah, they got a good deal. And that was like the most stressful trying to pretend like you're a mom who has it all together when your kid, you're talking, you're, you're potty training your kid, you're in like a studio in Toronto and you're like, okay, actually <laughs> this is a lot, but it's so cool. And I think that it's really interesting that we have, you know, moms who are able to speak their truth and create community 
and an income for their family on it. Like it really is such a blessing, right? It's incredible. Yeah. It's so incredible that I can share my life and the lessons I've learned in my life and I can encourage moms and I can provide value to women every single day and do that full time and end up making money doing it. And so, you know, people talk about like, oh, you know, you're a sellout if you take brand partnerships. And it's like, you know what, if I didn't take these, that would mean I wouldn't get paid, which would mean I would have to go back to my full-time job, which would mean I wouldn't have time to create all the free content that you consume and love. And so I used to feel weird about it. And now I'm like, I don't feel weird. Like it's totally empowering that like, I'm getting paid to talk about products that I would already be recommending anyway, most of the time. And the rest of the time I get to make things that actually help people. And like, that's awesome for me. And then it's awesome for the people who consume my content. Yeah, no, it's, it's definitely amazing. And what I love about your content is you're not sugarcoating anything. And you know, you're talking about like the difference between like Instagram and TikTok. And it's funny because I love a good curated feed. Like I miss the Instagram days where it was like pretty pictures and like then the real captions and they were like mini blog posts and just like everything looks pretty. And I will say that has been what's held me back in my brand is sometimes I'm like, I like when things look a certain way. It's just because I don't know why that's important to me, but it definitely is. And so that's why I struggled with TikTok. And, you know, you're saying this is why I love TikTok, but I love that you're, you're so raw and real about what motherhood really looks and feels like. And so can you unpack that for me, for maybe those who haven't stumbled upon your posts yet, the content that you talk about? Right. So in the content that I make, I generally try to appeal to what is happening inside us, like mother's emotional experiences. You know, there's a lot of different accounts out there that talk about parenting or activities to do with your kids or things to do with moms generally. But I really think about like what my emotional experiences have been as a mom. So that's, you know, what it felt like to become a mom, what it feels like inside when, you know, your husband's going to be home late from work for the fifth time in a week, like what it feels like to not have parental support, what it feels like all these unmet expectations that we have in motherhood are things that so many people don't talk about because there's so much shame attached to them. And people don't realize that a lot of the feelings that we have as mothers are universal. Like regardless of our financial situation or where we live in the world or, you know, whether we're single or married or whatever our situation, we all struggle with mom guilt. We all struggle with shame. We all struggle with feeling like we're not enough at one point or another, not knowing what we're doing. And so a lot of the content I make really speaks to like our emotional experiences and just normalizing that feelings are okay. Not attaching guilt and shame to struggling in motherhood, not attaching guilt to wanting a break from your kids and just normalizing that it's okay to have feelings and it's okay to not want to be around your kids all the time and that you're still a human being. And that's something I don't think enough people talk about is what we go through inside as mothers. Yeah. I love that. And you know, for me as a stepmom, because I talk a lot about stepmom guilt and, you know, the experience of a stepmom. And from my perspective, you know, I'm a mom as well. I feel like moms are still like, it's okay for moms to be talking about this. We still get a little bit of backlash here and there. And I'd love to talk about what that's been like for you, but you know, there is this double standard and I know a lot of stepmoms feel guilty because they don't want to be around their stepkids all the time, or maybe they're looking forward to their stepkids going back to their mom's house after a long week. And I'm always like, guys, real moms feel this too. Like this is like real moms are craving a break. Sometimes real moms cringe at the sound of their kids' voices because they just need five minutes to like not hear anyone say their name. And it's about normalizing that. Yeah. And it's, the thing is, is it's a human experience. It's not even just a mother experience or a woman experience. It's a human experience and it's not a character flaw needing to have time alone and quiet time is something that every single human being needs. We all need time for our brains to reset, for our bodies not to be touched. We all need a break. And mothers, women who are the ones generally doing most of the caregiving are the ones that are the most often touched, the most often overstimulated, like around the most sound. And whether those kids are your kids or your stepkids or the kids you work with at a school or whatever, 
it's going to be exhausting, whether you are mom or stepmom or dad or just a stranger. And I think it's just hard as moms because we, for some reason, have been socialized to believe that we should want to be around our kids all the time and that we should have unlimited patience and we should not have a limit to how much we can give. But as human beings, we do need to have breaks. And a lot of what I talk about is just normalizing that, like, that's a human experience. There's nothing wrong with you for wanting that. You should want that. There would be something wrong with you if you could go, 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 and listen, 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 and never need a break. That would be the abnormal experience. Yeah. And not have some like internal dialogue in your head where you're like cursing. <laughs> be like, Right. Right. Yeah. It's, it's so wild how like this, like mom guilt is so heavy and so prevalent and yet so many people feel alone in it yeah it's mind-boggling totally what's that experience been like for you like what what has that journey of mom guilt been like on your end because you've obviously we teach what we need right like we create content based on where we're feeling something so what what's that been like for you when I became a mom I really was a perfectionist. I really wanted to get it right. I wanted to do it right. I wanted everything to look right. I was the Pinterest mom, the craft mom, did the themed photo shoots, pureed the baby food, breastfed, you know, did all the things. And I had a relatively easy baby in hindsight. And I really like attached my worth to that. I really felt like I'm doing something right here. My kid sleeps my kid eats, I can breastfeed her anywhere. Like I could like, I could put her in like a sling wrap and she would breastfeed as I did chores around the house. And I felt like a boss. You were a boss. I literally, I needed to get butt naked. I couldn't even like the women at yoga who were like breastfeeding in between like their poses. I was like, I literally have to take off all my clothes and lay in my bed to somehow get this baby to feed. Right. And so like with my first, I was killing it. And then I was surrounded by moms who like had like the picture perfect picket fence. And so I aspired to like impress them and be like them and compare myself to them. And then I felt pretty good. And then my second born came along and like, I wanted to do very bad things because he didn't sleep for more than two hours for nearly a year. I became sleep deprived, resentful, exhausted, depressed. He didn't eat. He literally screamed anytime I tried to feed him. Breast, bottle, pumping, formula, different nipple. Like literally every time he screamed and I developed severe anxiety around feeding him. I was depressed, but not sad depressed. Like I was pissed off at the world. I was pissed off at my baby for not doing what babies were supposed to do and what like my toddler for needing me and my husband that he got to go to work and all the things. And I felt guilty. And this is where the mom guilt comes in. I felt so guilty that I couldn't do this anymore. And I, I've now realized that because I attached my self-worth to how things were going well in the first bit, that meant that when things weren't going well, my self-worth entirely evaporated. And then all the messages of you're not good enough, you can't do this, you weren't cut out for this, you should feel bad that you can't even feel, feed your baby, you should feel bad that you can't even get them to sleep, you should feel bad that you want to run away, you should feel like the guilt for all the things. And it's, you know, I've now come to this realization that like, we really need to detach our worth from what's going on with our kids, because there's only so much we can control. And so I felt a lot of guilt around that and a lot of guilt around not wanting to be a mom for a while, wanting to leave, wanting to just have a new life, wanting to not struggle every day, wanting to like have a full night's sleep. Like I just felt guilty. I felt guilty for wanting to have a nap. Like I literally would be like, I haven't slept in months and my child has been screaming all morning and my toddler needs me and I need a nap and I feel guilty. And I mean, now me, it's like, oh my gosh, like, why do you feel guilty for needing a nap? It's a literal human necessity to sleep. But I did because I just felt like I was failing at everything. And so I kind of also have this theory around, you know, how you said we create what we need. A lot of the creators and the people I know who speak to mothers and encourage mothers in like our worth and our mom guilt and things like that, we have fractured relationships with our moms, right? And the friends I have who don't need those messages generally have their moms telling them that. Their moms are saying, no, you are doing good enough. Their moms are, oh, I'll take the baby tonight. Their moms are over there helping them. Their moms are saying, yep, this is hard. They're encouraging them. And for those of us who didn't have that, who don't have that support, we have to learn to either tell it to ourselves and believe it from within 
because we don't have that person to do it or, or we crumble. And then I think when you have to do that for yourself, you realize there's got to be other people who need to hear this. That hits home for me. That really hits home for me because, you know, I have had a rocky relationship with my mom. You know, it's ebbed and flowed and kind of came to a halt most recently just because it got to the point where it was just like, you know, I'm done with the roller coaster, right? You know, you're just, you're just done. I I really love, I'm just really into certain types of standards for a relationship and how I feel after I spend time with people. So my relationship has kind of deteriorated, but I look back and I'm like, you're right. I didn't have that support. Like I didn't have someone, it was almost like, well, that's how it is. Like, how do you think I felt? We, We got a lot of that. I'm going to interrupt this episode really quickly to give you the inside scoop on brands and resources that I'm loving, who also help support the show. Father's Day is coming up and I have the best gift idea for you. A handcrafted, eco-friendly, reclaimed all-wood watch from Revival by Martin & Co. Revival by Martin & Co.'s mission is to redefine what a watch should be. It's not just about what the watch looks like, but what it signifies. The value of a watch is not about being able to tell how much time has passed, but in being aware of the need to make time count. Their Elevation Collection, which is gorgeous, signifies the countless times you have overcome adversities, the millions of moments that you have felt terrified, but emerged victorious, the time you felt lost, but found your way out, the times you have suffered, but survived. The Elevation Collection is a physical reminder of how strong and capable your man is, hence the name Elevation. These handcrafted all-wood watches are both meaningful and beautiful and would act as a great reminder of how far your man has come this Father's Day and how much you appreciate and admire his strength and resilience. Revival by Martin & Co. has partnered with Water Aid Canada and Sick Kids Foundation with 25% of proceeds from each purchase going towards making a direct impact on transforming lives. These timepieces are not just about buying a product. It's about stepping towards a lifestyle change, signifying how far you've come and where you're going. Use the code JAMIE15 at revivalbymartinandco.com for 15% off. Darren's favorite is the walnut with ebony as a close second. www.revivalbymartinandco.com. Use the code JAMIE15 for 15% off. A huge priority for me over the last year or so has been my sleep. My bedtime routine is something that I'm trying really hard to be deliberate about because I know that when I get off the screens or read a book or journal and have a hot drink before bed, I sleep way better. I've also learned the difference that great sheets can make. A few months back, we got the bamboo sheets from Cozy Earth. We got the sheet set and the duvet cover and guys, I can't even. They blew my mind and are by far the softest, most comfortable sheets I've ever slept in. And I get hot at night and regularly get the night sweats. And these sheets are temperature regulating, which is perfect because it helps keep me cool. Certified free of harmful chemicals, easy to wash, won't pill and have a 10 year warranty. I cannot recommend these bamboo sheets enough. And of course I have a code for you. So you can use the code JamieS40 for 40% off. Yes, 40%. Investing in good sheets makes such a huge difference in your sleep. And when you get good sleep, you show up as a better version of yourself in the morning. You deserve it and the people in your life deserve it. And seriously, they're just so soft. So Jamie S40 for 40% off. You can go to Cozy Earth's website or jamiescrimger.com forward slash Cozy Earth and use the code and you'll be good to go. Sidebar, Cozy Earth also has the bamboo jogger set that I'm always posting about on Instagram. Also, so freaking comfortable. Highly, highly recommend. Now, you wrote this post on Mother's Day, which I I think it was just a, Mother's Day or just around there, but you said, there's a certain type of pain that is felt by the mothers without relationships with their own mothers. Knowing that you would do anything for your children to be safe, loved, and accepted while simultaneous, simultaneously, can't say that word, but you get what I'm saying holding space for the knowledge that it's something that you will never experience. There are not words for that special kind of grief. Did I, did I write that? Yeah, that was good. (laughs) Poetic, really. (laughs) Right. And there is, 
There really, really is. And I feel like for me, and you know, you can share if this, you know, rings true for you, but my childhood and how I felt as a child and, and how I felt about my needs being met or not met has really affected how I show up as a parent. Like it's defined it really. Like my childhood, I'm like, I'm not going to be that. I don't want my kid to feel that way. And I, I really, I probably go extreme to try to overcompensate. And it's just so interesting how our childhood can impact how we show up as parents so strongly, way more than we ever thought. Absolutely. Yes. I remember when I, you know, first became a mom, it was this whole idea of everything that she did. We'll just do the opposite of that. Just literally do the opposite of that. And I've had to come to this place where I'm like, oh gosh, the extreme of anything isn't healthy. And so one of the biggest struggles I have in my parenting is knowing where the healthy line is, right? So let's say like I was emotionally neglected and my feelings were never validated and my problems were never real and my struggles were never as important or more important than hers or, you know, like that emotional experience. The opposite would be that as a mom now, all I do is focus on their needs and validating them and their feelings and what they want and completely ignoring my own needs, which is what I did for a while. Completely. Like my sleep didn't matter. Eating didn't matter. Socializing didn't matter. Nothing mattered but them. And that quickly led to resentment. And that is what led me to actually being more like my mom because I was more exhausted. I was snappier, more resentful. I'd say more martyrish things about like what I'd given up, you know, like I, in ignoring what I needed, I then became like her. And so now I'm trying to find this balance of validating their feelings, acknowledging that their problems are real, comforting them, like making sure they know they're a priority while at the same time acknowledging my own value and my worth and my needs and my boundaries. And that's a hard line to figure out when you haven't had a healthy example of it. And that's, I think, one of the hardest things about not having a healthy example of a mother is that, you know, I have peers who look to their mom of like, oh, well, what did they do for this? And they just alter it a bit, you know, based on like their own values and needs. But I'm like, I look at my mom and she is so far away from the type of person that I want to be as a mother that I don't even know what's healthy. Like, I don't even know, like, is, am I giving them too much attention? Is it not enough? And you question yourself. I don't know about you, but like, I'm constantly questioning, like, is it too much? Is it too little? Like, I don't have anything to base it off of. It's just total guesswork. And it's, guesswork for every parent, right? We're all making it up as we go along. But when you have no healthy example, it's like just pulling stuff out of thin air. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. I remember one morning I was just like, do you journal? I do. Yeah. Yeah. I was just like going at her in my journal and just like kind of unpacking so much stuff from my childhood. And it was like, I was going through like my coping mechanisms and how I would, you know, I didn't want to be the snappy mom, but I was being the snappy mom because I was, you know, like you're saying, trying to be the opposite. And I look back and I'm like, I didn't have any coping mechanism. No one taught me. No one taught me what to do when you had a bad day. No one taught me how to communicate your feelings. No one told me that they were going to be here no matter what. So it's so interesting how that shows up in your relationships and with your kids. Like it showed up in my marriage with Darren too, because for the longest time, because, you know, I dealt with abandonment issues in my family and, you know, my mom kind of I just lived with my dad and my mom kind of let me and <laughs> never really called. I thought everyone was going to leave. So it was like, I was going to push you away before you left me. Right. And then you, you know, you try to raise kids and be in this stressful situation while you're trying to navigate those feelings and realizing that your coping mechanisms are actually the root of all your problems in your adulthood. And then you're like, okay, I'm trying to be a good mom, but I got to deal with my shit. At the same time. At the same time. At the same time, you're like, I have to reparent myself while I'm parenting. It, it's so hard. It's so hard to do when you're like, how do I care for what I need right now and figuring out my own stuff? Like why my child literally has needs in this very moment. Like how do you have the capacity to do that? It's really, really difficult. And that's why I you know, put in that post, it's a special kind of grief. Like there's no other, there's nothing you can compare it to. My therapist, one, she said to me, you know, being in a relationship with a narcissistic person is extremely hard. 
when that person is your own mother, it's next level because it's not just any other human being. It is the person that was supposed to care for you more than anyone else and was supposed to sacrifice for you and do all these things. It's such a complex relationship, especially like mother daughter. It's so hard. It's so hard. It's like this radical acceptance of they're just, it's never going to be what you want it to be. And then you have to provide that for yourself. And then there's like a whole grief about like, okay, so I've accepted it, but it's still freaking hard. It's still hard that I have to do that for myself while doing it for my kids. And there's a lot of shame that comes with that. Well, for me, at least, you know, there'd be times where I would question myself like, okay, well, is this me or, you know, maybe I should do something different or why wasn't I a lovable child? Like, why didn't, why, you know, I look at my relationship with my stepkids and with my daughter and I'm like, oh God, I just want them to know that I am like their safe space. They can come to me no matter what. And I will be mad at them, but I will never leave them, right? Like, you know, we'll, we'll deal with like issues in parenting, but like, I'm always here. And, you know, not having that, you're like, wait, why? You know, what did I do? What was wrong with me that someone wouldn't want to do that to me? And so then you have that shame. And then you're at like pick up and drop off and you're like, whoa, the grandma's picking the kids up from school or grandma's like helping out or people are saying like, I can't live without my mom. I'm like, where do I get one of those? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right, right, right. And they say like grief hits you in waves and you can never like see when it's coming. And usually people are referencing death, but I mean, there's the grief obviously of mothering without a mother. And I have had a few moments where, you know, my daughter has shared something with me about something she's going through at school or, you know, anything. And I, you know, comfort her and I tell her, you know, I'm glad that she shared that with me and that, you know, that is hard. And I do all those validation things. And there's been times when like, as I'm providing for my daughter, what I so deeply desired, I am just like overcome inside with grief that I never once had a conversation like that that not one time did anybody ever say those words to me. And, you know, it just makes you wonder like what, what difference would that have made? You know, what kind of person would I be if that, if I had had that safe space and it's hard because, you know, I I've had a lot of women share with me, like, I feel jealous of my children. I feel jealous that I'm providing them with what I never had. And it's not a jealousy of you wish they didn't have it. Like, you're happy to do it. And it's like the joy of your life, but it's also this like pang of like, wow, like I really didn't have that. And I, you know, I knew that my childhood was hard and I knew that I went through a lot of trauma, but before I had kids, I kind of was like, well, I dealt with it. I'm fine. I'm an adult now. Like, let's move on. And it wasn't until I had kids that I was like, wow, like that was horrible. Like how could a mother have done that? How could a mother have not done that? How could a mother have, X, Y, Z, right? Like when you feel that like love of a mother, then it's like really like a mind screw up. Cause you're like, well, this doesn't make sense based on what I want for my kids. And then it's that self-worth stuff of like, why me? Why, why, why couldn't you do this for me? Mm-hmm, for sure. And you know, then there's the perspective where people are like, well, you got to get over it. Like it's from the past. Stop talking about the past, you know, shake it off, move forward. And uh, I think that's kind of how I was. And I know, you know, in my family, that's the like, with, you know, the people who cause the trauma are like, like, get over it. When are you going to get over it? And it's not that you just like sit around, cry about it all day. But I think there's this new movement, I guess. And maybe that's not quite the right word where as adults, we're becoming more aware of how those like little traumas from our childhood have shaped us into who we are today. And we, so it's not about, you know, getting over it. It's about sitting in it and recognizing it and seeing how it's impacted the person that you've become so that you can become more aware and change that cycle, like break that cycle. Right. It's breaking this. It's exactly what breaking the cycle is. Right. And so to the people who say, oh, well, you just need to get over it and then also cause you trauma in the same hand, they have such a lack of awareness of how their trauma affected them and how they then end up traumatizing you that that blocks them from being able to heal themselves and heal the next generation and the generation after that. And it's like, you think you know, they think, oh, well, I've gotten over it. And it's like, well, based on how you raised me, based on the things that you've done and said, 
you, well, you actually haven't gotten over it. You think you have, but you're, there's in none of the ways you're acting. Are you showing that you've gotten over it? You actually pass that down to me. So me sitting with it and dealing with it and healing it and going to therapy and figuring it all out is hard as hell. Like it's been passed down for generations. Like it is hard, but it's not just this idea of like, Oh, let's like perseverate on it and just think about it and be sad. It's like being aware of it helps you realize what needs to change. And once you know what needs to change, you can put those things into practice and then hopefully not pass it down to your kids. Like it's monumental work. It's not just sitting around being sad. And you know, it's just the, it's not even about blaming people either. And I think that, you know, there's also this, this mindset that, oh, this generation is just blaming everyone for all of their problems. That's not it at all. This generation's actually taking a whole lot of accountability for their personal growth. It's about, you know, just reflecting. I know, you know, my, my mom and my dad and, you know, every, everyone does, you know, the best they can with what they have in the moment. And maybe that's not fully true. It's maybe wasn't their best, but it was what was in their wheelhouse in that time. Right. And I, I really love Bethany Webster. So she has the book healing your inner mother. She's phenomenal. She's been on the podcast a few times. And in her book, she talks about how, you know, we look at our moms and we look at our parents and we think that, you know, they're like we growing up, we just think that moms know it all, right? Like, you know, the mom has all the answers when really a lot of the moms are actually just wounded little children walking around in adults' bodies trying to figure their own stuff out. And that's how it gets passed on to your kids, right? If you don't deal with your stuff. It isn't blaming, but it is an awareness of where they come from. Like I can look at my mom and I did a post about this recently and I can see her childhood and I can see her traumas and see what happened to her. And I have deep empathy for what she went through. Like she went through an incredible amount and she, along with most generations before us, didn't have access to mental health resources. Therapy wasn't accessible or normalized. A hundred years ago, if women had mental health issues, they were literally locked up and they were sent to institutions. They had no rights, you know? And so we really are the first generation um, to be, it's not as stigmatized. We have access to mental health resources. We're able to talk about it. We're able to read books about it. We have access to the internet and like a community of other people who talk about it. And so it can be easy to look back and say, well, why didn't you do it? You know, why couldn't you have X, Y, Z, which I've done and I still do sometimes. But when I really think about it, I'm like, we really are the first generation, not because we're better, not because we're higher than now, not because of any of that, but because we literally have more access to resources to do those things and an awareness that's happening around us culturally as well. So, you know, and that doesn't mean that's an excuse for the behavior or the things that have been done, but it's just that awareness of it has been passed down from generations. It didn't start with our moms. It didn't, it didn't start with their moms. It's, you know, there hasn't been an emotional intelligence or emotional awareness for very long in the world. And so it's a heavy responsibility for us. Yeah. And I I think that there's this shift now too. My sister was, and I were talking about a post that she saw about how there's now this generation of, you know, adults who are like, we're done with the bullshit, right? Like we're not, and I talk about this a lot. I, I'm not into the obligatory relationships. Like I don't owe you anything because you are my mom or because you are my dad or because you are my aunt. Like I didn't actually ask to be in this family. Like this, this was chosen for me, right? Like I actually don't owe anyone anything just because you raised me and clothed me and like provided me shelter. That was actually your legal responsibility after having a child. (laughs) So I don't actually owe you anything. And there's this whole, well, they're your mom or they're your dad, or you need to go do this. And I'm not into it. I'm really, really not. No, no. And the thing is, we are responsible for our own happiness, our own peace, our own boundaries, all of those things. Nobody else can put those things into place for us. We know what relationships make us feel alive and bring us joy and bring us fulfillment. We know the people we spent time with who afterwards were just a ball of stress. Like we're the only ones that have that information. And so we're the ones that have to put boundaries in place to protect our own peace. That's nobody else's responsibility. 
especially as adults, right? Like, and you know, for me, it took a long time to come to a place where I believed in my own self-worth, you know, based on the way I was raised, I became a people pleaser. Like I just wanted to fit in with everyone. I wanted everyone to like me. I just wanted to like, feel like I belonged somewhere. And it took me a while to figure out like, I'm worthy and enough just the way I am and my needs and what I want out of my relationships and my life are important. And they're not only important, but I have to execute on putting those boundaries up. You know, I'm the one that keeps picking up the phone every time, you know, my mom calls me 10 times a day. I'm the one that can decide not to pick up those phone calls. You know, I'm the one that can decide not to lend money out. You know what I mean? Like, I just think it's, we are this generation who's realizing that we're in charge of our own lives and we don't have to do what anyone tells us to do anymore. Uh, and that actually doing what everybody else wants you to do doesn't make you happy anyway. So you might as well do what makes you happy and brings you peace and just disappoint whoever you need to disappoint along the way. Cause somebody's going to be disappointed no matter what you do. Mm-hmm. And chances are the people who are disappointed are going to be disappointed no matter what you do. Oh, a hundred percent. No matter what you give, it's not enough. Right. So might as well, you do you. For sure. How did you set boundaries with your family? Like, like, what did that look like for you? Cause I, I get a lot of questions from women who are like, okay, I need to set boundaries with my mom or I need to set boundaries with, you know, in law, whatever. And they don't know how to go about doing it. What, what was that experience like? It took a long time. And to my point about self-worth, it had to come from inner work, like just having the logical knowledge that boundaries would help me feel more peaceful wasn't good enough. Because if I didn't believe that I was worthy of peace and happiness and joy, then I can't execute on any of my boundaries. Like if I genuinely believe in my heart that her needs or his needs or whoever are more important than mine, then how am I going to put up boundaries? So I had to do a lot of like inner work of realizing and that I am enough and I am worthy as it was. And then what did it look like? It looked like several years of baby steps and backstepping and then baby steps. And for me getting hurt, trying again, getting hurt, trying again. And one day just saying like, enough is enough. Like I'm done with this. No matter what I do, it's not good enough. No matter what I do, I keep getting hurt. And it looked like not answering the phone as much and then dealing with the guilt of that and acknowledging that that guilt is real and hard but then still not picking up the phone and dealing with the guilt. And then eventually the guilt went away, you know, and, you know, not responding to the texts as quickly or as often or at all, depending on, you know, the time. And I think the thing is we talk about boundaries as if like, Oh, just set boundaries, but there's so much involved in it. Like there's shame and there's our self-worth and there's guilt and there's so much around it. And I think it's like going into it with the knowledge that it's going to be hard and that, you know, you're going to fail and you're going to learn from it. And then, that's going to give you the confidence to set a bigger boundary next time. And that's kind of how it worked for me where I would think like, Oh, I've set this boundary. It's going to work. And then being proven again and again and again, that I'm just going to get hurt regardless gave me the confidence to be like, no, it's absolutely necessary that we don't talk to this person anymore because it's not good for anybody. So that's maybe not, that's not great advice, but it's, it's how I got there. And I really had to believe in my worth before I could execute on any boundaries because otherwise the guilt would consume me. Well, actually, I think it's great advice because I do think you're right. There is this idea right now that you can just set boundaries and it's easy to set boundaries. And there's just a lot of stuff you have to plow through in order to get to that place. And the baby steps is huge because you do set those baby steps. And the big thing is, is to pay attention to how you feel throughout the process, right? especially how you feel when you let someone back in, when you decide, oh, okay, I set these boundaries, but you know, I'm feeling guilty or, you know, maybe I'm being too hard or maybe this is about me and you let those boundaries down and then you find yourself in the situation where you feel like crap again, or you feel hurt or disappointed, like paying attention to that, right? Like, you know, you, you get to let people in and I was reading this book this morning. I was talking about, you know, you will know where you need to set boundaries based on how you feel in a situation. And it's in your gut and it's in your chest. Like pay attention to that. Like your body tells you what's right and what's not. And one of the best things, I mean, I've learned a lot of things from Brene Brown, but one thing she talked about with setting boundaries is you never have to say, I'm setting a boundary with you. That's not what setting boundaries looks like. You don't say, I'm setting a boundary with you. I need X, Y, Z. You just say, sorry, I don't talk about 
your health issues anymore. Like, I don't want to talk about that. Let's talk about like more surfacey things. Or it looks like I am going to call you every Saturday morning. Please don't call me any other time of the week unless it's an emergency or at all. You know, like it's literally just stating what your expectation is. And sometimes it's not even stating it. Sometimes it's just executing on your own end. Like I'm just not going to respond to text messages, you know, like sometimes it's stating it. Sometimes it's just following through on it. But I think, you know, an important part of boundaries for me has been having some accountability to like, like with my husband or with somebody who I say, you know what, like I, I'm not doing this with mom anymore. Like this is just not a part of what our relationship is going to look like. And then having them to sort of kindly remind you and guide you and support you so that you don't feel completely alone because it's a lonely experience. Yeah. It's a def and, and you know, there's those little bouts of shame throughout mm-hmm. someone reminding you it's okay. It's okay to set boundaries. You are worth it. Your peace is worth it. Do you remember what it felt like when she did this? Those reminders, like I've had my sister-in-law say that to me sometimes, like when I, you know, I'm saying I feel guilty. It's like, do, do you remember this occasion when this happened? And then it's like, oh yeah, that's why we have this boundary. Yeah, for sure. Do you feel like when you're having, you know, interactions with your mom or interactions with someone who you've needed to set boundaries and you find yourself reverting to like that childhood self, like those insecurities or like the beliefs that you had about yourself, all of a sudden you're like that eight-year-old girl, like in those situations and you're kind of like, you know what I mean? Yeah, I used to a lot because I have so many boundaries now. I'm just very shut off to my emotions now when I'm around my mom. I actually like don't, I don't really allow emotions to come to the surface. And I would say that I probably have those feelings afterwards, but I feel like I'm on such guard and on such defense that I don't feel a whole lot. It's mostly just getting through the experience. Do you think that's a process? Like, do you think that this is like part of the whole journey and that won't be the experience as time goes on? I hope so. I hope so. Yeah. I mean, like I'm still in the middle of journey, right? I mean, I feel like because I talk about boundaries and I talk about, you know, being raised by a narcissistic mother and all that, like, because I talk about it openly, people can assume I have all the answers, right? And I'm like, I don't have the answers. Like I'm walking through it and I'm walking you with me through it. And I have more boundaries now than I ever have before. And I've done a lot of work, but it's never a destination. Like it's 100% a journey. Like until I die, I will be journeying. You know, even after my mom has passed, it'll still be something that I work through inside. You know, I hope that my experience emotionally when I have interactions changes and then it becomes more, I don't know, okay. But right now that's just, it is what it is and, and we'll see where it goes. And I, I've just come to an acceptance that it's not always going to feel the same. Emotions change and our experiences change and our boundaries change. And, and that is okay. I spent a long time being like, oh, I need to arrive. I need to figure out the solution to this problem and then we'll be better. And I can, you know, move on with my life. Here we go. And it's now just like, nope, this is a journey and we have to keep doing this, even though it's hard. We have to keep doing it. Mm -hmm. And the lessons just keep coming. You think that it's like, oh, I've, you know, dealt with my childhood trauma. I, you know, dealing with all of this, I'm good. And then all of a sudden you're like, next. Nope, never mind. What's the next thing? How is this affecting me today in this relationship? Like, I mean, I have it affect my friendships even, you know, like, I can think it's just like, just her, you know, it's just my mom. And then I notice myself in relationships doing things or saying things or feeling things that I'm like, I eventually realize like, oh, I feel that way because of my trauma or my experiences. And you realize just how connected it all is. And when you talk about trauma, because I think this is an important piece you know, we think of trauma as like a big situation of abuse or, you know, these, these big events, but, you know, as I've done the work myself, I've learned like, there's little, just like micro mini traumas and like little situations that happen throughout your childhood and the messages that you get about yourself and about the world. And that's trauma too. You know, the time where your mom didn't meet your need or the time where, you know, you felt like you weren't wanted or not good enough or, you know, you you just kind of were like left. Like, I know that's for me. Like those little things that even in the moment, they seemed real, like just like real life, not a big deal because this was my reality. Looking back, it's like, no, that was actually very traumatic. Right. 
it's all like they say like the big t trauma and the small t trauma right and I think some people like to compare and say oh well I didn't you know I didn't go through any big trauma like I didn't you know go through this huge thing so it must not be trauma but it's like well you were still very much affected by the way you were raised and your emotional needs were met or not met and that is trauma and that is something that you need to work through and figure out um you know my trauma is sort of complex too, right? Where it's not like I had this one singular event that happened, you know, there were lots of big events that happened, but, you know, weeded in throughout there were lots of small things. And I realized as I've grown up and become a mom that it actually was some of the, it's the smaller things that affected me more. You know, when I first became an adult, I thought, you know, the most traumatic thing about my childhood was that I grew up in poverty, you know, that we didn't have, you know, clothes or food or, you know, we lived in shelters or moved around. I thought that was the most traumatic thing that I went through. And as I've become a mom, I realized, no, like not feeling like home was a safe space where I was loved and unconditionally accepted was far more traumatic to me than not having the trendiest pair of shoes or enough food to eat. Like it was much more traumatic to me to not have someone who was there for me no matter what and having to be the responsible adult when I was 11 years old, you know, having to be the person who took care of everyone else was way more traumatic to me and affected me as an adult way more than, than that. Or some, you know, the abusive situations I was in with, you know, different men and boyfriends in my mom's life and things like that. And so you know, there's no invalid trauma. I think some people like to compare and say, oh, well, you know, mine wasn't as bad as yours. So I shouldn't, you know, be affected. You know, we're all affected by the things that happen to us. And there, there's really no comparison. And it doesn't help anyone to say, oh, well, you had it worse than me. No. And because we're all, you know, I, I keep thinking back to my therapist, Bonnie. She's not my therapist anymore. She retired, but she was a gem. Bonnie said, you know, children need two things. They need to feel loved and they need to feel safe. Two needs. And if those two needs are not met, you find yourself on a podcast. <laughs> Talking about <laughs> right. right, 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 exactly. <laughs> for sure. Well, thank you so much for taking time. You know, this conversation, yeah, I didn't know where it was going to go because I knew we had so many things in common in terms of like our experience and our perceptions around motherhood and stuff. But I'm just really grateful that you're sharing this because it's definitely helped me. It's made me feel less alone. And I know that you're helping so many other women too, because you're right. You know, motherhood, it's not about the tips and the strategies and like the meals and all the things like that's part of it. But to really thrive as a mom, it's about doing that inner work and like really paying attention to your self-worth and, you know, the type of life that you want to create and what you really deserve. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for having me on here today. I love these hard conversations. I love it. Yeah. I will link your platforms, TikTok, Instagram, all the things, your blog, you got lots going on and I'm super proud of all that you've done. You, you really should. I know this wasn't in the plan, but you should be, you should be proud because you're changing conversations and this is really important stuff. Thank you. I appreciate that. That's it for this one. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you haven't already, and if the podcast has been resonating with you, I would be forever grateful if you would head on over to iTunes and give the show a rating and a review. And if you know someone who would benefit from listening to this episode, be sure to send it their way. Now, if you are craving more, head to my website, jamiescrimger.com. There are lots of blog posts and podcast episodes and resources available for you over there. And if you really want to dive in, I do take on a limited number of coaching clients every month. So you can book one call or work with me for three months. Either way, we will create an individualized plan for your unique step family situation. Remember, sitting around biatching about how hard being a stepmom is won't make being a stepmom any easier. If you want change in your life, it has to start with you. Chat with you next week.